Gary Workamp. And she's Jill Hughes. Join us for the untold stories of Shadow Gallery. All right, here we go, Jill. Podcast number one. Pretty exciting, right. right? So we're here to talk about a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's called All <laughs> Things all Shadow things Gallery. Shadow Gallery. But it's definitely going to be some things Shadow Gallery. But the untold stories and a few ones that we told a few times before. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, I am Gary Wearcamp from the band since 1993. And uh, yeah. and I'm Jill Hughes. I was uh, part of the first tour for Shadow Gallery in 2010, worked as a production assistant and merch manager and helped them behind the scenes. Um, so we probably should start with a brief history of Shadow Gallery, right? Yeah, let's let's I mean, do this. We're going to tell things untold, but we should probably tell the things that were told, but let's do it quick. Here, here we go. Here we go. Once upon a time. Long, long ago. In a galaxy not far from Pennsylvania. There were these guys. I wasn't one of them yet. The band was called Sorcerer. But there was a band called Sorcerer in every town. So they had to change the name. To something with shadows. And galleries. And something better. Anything would be better. Yep. So they called themselves... Shadow Gallery. They made a record. It was a demo. Some record company guy named Mike Varney liked it. Who? Mike Varney. Oh, the guy from Guitar World. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know, but he liked the demo. He liked the demo. He liked it, and they got signed... To Magna Carta. The Royal Charter of Rights agreed to by the King John of England in uh, 1215, right? No, more like 1991. Oh, yeah, right, right. So Carl, Brent, Chris, and Mike met Gary Ward. That's me! In April 1993. And Kevin Safara joined as the drummer. They made another record. Yeah, Carved in Stone in 1995. And then... Another. A concept album, Tyranny, came along in 1998. Some people liked that one. Oh, thanks, Jill. Yeah, that was uh, drummer Joe Novola's first album with us. Don't forget the release of Legacy in 2001. Okay, Jill, I won't forget. And the Room 5 album continued the Tyranny storyline. Yeah, in 2005. So Mike Baker was the band singer since inception. And a good friend and good bandmate. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2008. Don't ever cry, just remember. His memory lived on in Digital Ghost. Which was recorded. With new singer. Brian Ashland. In 2009. And after a couple shows in the U.S. A tour of Europe followed. In 2010. And another one in... Uh, I don't know, like uh, 2013. Yeah, okay, sure. What else? You all been busy with other stuff. Yeah, I, I know, I guess. So that brings us to now. <laughs> Spotlight. <laughs> okay, you say it then. <laughs> so that brings us to now. Yeah, and the... Untold stories of... Shadow Gallery. On this first episode of Shadow Gallery, The Untold Stories, we have with us first guitarist Fred Almond, and later on joining us will be bassist Carl Cadden James, who will share with us how the band got started, and remember as far back as 30 years ago when the debut album was created. Bring on the guests. Welcome, Brent. Carl will be joining us later. Brent, we want to welcome you to the podcast as one of our first guests on the show. Which one? Which one is it? Is it your? Am I the first or am one of your first? Yeah, <laughs> this is actually just an intervention. We need to talk to you. <laughs> Where are you coming to us from? Jail or is it Austin, uh, somewhere in that area? I'd like to thank the warden for this time. <laughs> Lovely Georgetown, Texas, which is a quick 25-minute drive from Austin, downtown proper. You're from Texas. What brought you up to Pennsylvania, which is probably how you met those other guys in, in the band? 
Uh, my family did. My father was getting a job. Uh, well, my father worked for AT&T or Southwestern Bell, and he went up to uh, work in New Jersey at some special lab they had or whatever. And I was like 18 and said, you know what? I've seen Texas for 18 years. I'll go see this other place. And then I got there, and it was freezing cold, and I said, I don't want to be here anymore. And then I stayed there for 20 years. <laughs> Were you already playing the guitar at this point, or was it just banjo and mandolin? <laughs> I did a lot of uh, washboard and uh, mouth harp or whatever. Uh, I think you malfunction. I think the malfunction is the word you're no. looking for. <laughs> I think I was, uh, yeah, I was teaching at the time guitar, and... Uh, I just left all my students and came up there and then got new students up there. How old were you when you started? 12 years old. I, I wanted to be Angus Young, and then shortly thereafter that I wanted to be Randy Rhodes. Was it because of the outfit that Angus wore, or...? <laughs> no, it was Back in Black, man. Yeah, what a great record. Great record. The very first thing I remember learning on the guitar was my mother taught me how to play this, like, uh, this boogie thing. And then my goal at that point was to be able to play it better than her. That was my whole goal in life when I was 12. Uh, some goals continue. Uh, we wish you luck with that in the future. <laughs> and how did you come to know, uh, I guess, Carl? Or who did you meet first? I met the, uh, <laughs> the amazing Ron Evans first. I went to, God, I can't remember the name of this, this uh, music store over near the Lehigh Valley Mall. And uh, I put up a flyer trying to find bands that played like Yngwie Malmsteen and, and Iron Maiden and stuff. I had a bunch of, you know, what do you call it? Those little rip-off tabs, you know, with your number on it and stuff. And uh, Ron took the whole thing. And I uh, said, hey, guy, I heard you want to play some Yngwie Malmsteen and stuff. Uh, we got a band that does that. You want to come jam? And, I've, you know, I'm 18 years old. I was just a kid. Sure, let's go. And then I followed him to Carl's house in... Ron literally ran over every dead animal that was on the, on 512 or whatever that whatever the hell road that was that we were on. He hit every one of them. He must hit 20 of them. I don't know if he was like wow. a sport or what, but uh, it was pretty funny to watch. And that's how I met Carl eventually at his uh, first farmhouse. What was your first impression of Carl when you first met him? Uh, my first uh, impression of Carl was, uh, God, he, he was intense. <laughs> He's like, you, you got you to gotta listen to this thing. We're, we're working on this new music. You got to hear it. You do a pretty good impression of him. <laughs> Wait, I thought Carl suddenly joined us. I, know. I was like, oh, and Carl answered for you. My first impression of Carl, I was, uh, yeah, he, he was definitely intense. I was really drawn into his charisma and how, how much he was really into the music. He was so proud of what you guys were playing me, which was actually just the first album, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And uh, I just remember listening to Dark Town with him. And he was pumping his fist and singing along with every word, like his eyes closed, shaking his head, like he was just writing it on the spot or recording it. And I was like, wow, this guy's really into it, you know, and, and I, I naturally really loved that first album, too. Yeah, Carl was an intense individual and very into, yeah, I, I agree. He was very into, uh, you know, what he was doing. And it's the same way when they were showing me the, the you know, the Sorcerer demo tapes and stuff. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. Who was in Sorcerer at this time? Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was me, of course, and uh, then Ron. <laughs> yeah, Ron was a really good guitar player. I, he was a lot of, he was, he was a good dude. Uh, Mike, Mr. Baker, uh, Carl, of course, 
And I want to say John Cooney was the drummer at the time. And I don't think Chris Ingalls was with them at the time. I think he had, I don't know, he was doing something else. And, uh, but eventually he kind of came back when we started working on our first record. Anyway, that's, was uh, Chris that's, ever that's who was there. in Sorcerer? Yeah. Like, what about for live shows? Uh, yes, I think he was. I don't know. You'd have to ask Carl about that one. Uh, the live show part was a little bit before me. So you never played live with them? Um, did we? No, I don't think we did. We rehearsed we a lot. Out. Then we started um, working on our own stuff once uh, Mike Varney got a hold of our, the Sorcerer tapes. So how did you decide the style of music that you were going to create? Because it was so different. It was so progressive. As you were sitting there writing this music, how did you decide that was the direction you were going to go? And you weren't going to create these just like real generic rock and roll songs. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't talented enough to create simple songs. <laughs> that's a lot, it's much harder to do than, uh, than what, what we were doing. Much, much harder to do. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, that's a really good question. I, I don't really, uh, I never put any thought to it. It's just the stuff that started coming out, you know, and I had written a lot of little musical things, you know, when I was a teenager, some of those things found their way into the first shadow gallery record that our first record was a really good exercise and, and me getting a kind of a crash course on arrangement, right? Song arrangement. You know, I had written some things before, Carl and I started working together, and Chris and I started working together, but the arrangement piece of it wasn't as important and to me at the time because it was just a whole bunch of part my stuff, and I just kind of crammed it together in some kind of a, you know, some kind of progressive gumbo or something that I was making. But it was a lot more interesting when somebody else had a part. I'd be like, oh, hey, that would fit with this, and then maybe we could do this after that you played earlier, and then that's kind of how I started learning how to arrange songs and. Um, a lot of the things that I had originally kind of written when I was a teenager then came back into the mix with this new record we were working on. I mean, I didn't set out to, you know, make a record that sounded like that, but uh, I'm sure sure happy to be part of it. Yeah. Do you remember what the first song was that you worked on with anyone else in the Shadow Gallery lineup? Yeah, the very first thing, very first thing that, uh, that, I, that I wrote with Shadow Gallery was uh, Dance of Fools with Chris. And it was very, very beginning. It was the very first thing we wrote. Did you and Chris, if you worked on it together, were you thinking specifically you wanted to work in the Lydian mode? All you have to remember about the Lydian mode. I don't even know what that. I don't even know what that means. So. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you the <laughs> simplest way to understand okay. the sound of it. The sound of the Lydian mode is is Yoda's theme, right? When he's lifting that that oh. X wing out of the Dagobah, right? He's lifting the X wing out. It's coming okay. towards you, and it's da da da. Or, or uh, me, George Jetson, or if she's probably too young. Know <laughs> no. Uh, the, the Simpsons. I've watched that show. Thank you very well, much. I teach my students, this is Lydian. You okay. know, it's just, this exercise in this one cool riff in Lydian, and then you just said, hey, I mean, who said, let's modulate it up a third, and then let's modulate it up a third again, and you know, how did that come about? I, I think I know, I think I remember. So so Chris had this cool riff, right? And, um, One in E flat. Yeah, and there was some Eddie Jobson record that he was playing. And it was there was some kind of neat riff like that, that they were just moving around in fourths or fifths or thirds or something. I said, why don't we do that? Why don't we try and do like what that, you know, what that record was doing and just kind of move this thing around in, in, in a logical and beautiful way. 
So that's what we did. And uh, that was the whole first chunk of it. And then uh, we kind of ran out of notes to run it, <laughs> to, to modulate to, and <laughs> moved on to the next thing, you know? That's pretty much how we did it. I don't think there was any grand plan. We just kind of went with that until it, it wasn't interesting anymore and moved on to the next thing. So Shadow Gallery was now recording their first demo, which would become the first album, and they hooked up with Magna Carta Records. So how did you get signed to them? Did you send them demos? Yeah, kind of a known, a little bit of a known story, but John Cooney, our drummer at the time, had sent, I guess on a whim, the Sorcerer demo tapes to Mike Varney from uh, Guitar Player Magazine, who owned Shrapnel Records. So he had uh, mentioned that he and a, another businessman were going to go in and, and uh, start a progressive rock label because that's where they thought things were going to go, you know. Nobody knew grunge was just around the corner, of course. But uh, that's that's how we got in touch with, with uh, Pete Morticelli and Magna Carta, and they started asking for more of this, you know, give us more of this kind of sounding stuff. So that's what we started doing. Pretty soon we, we said, hey, give us uh, give us about a year, and we'll pr- or, or maybe a little bit less, and we'll produce something that I think you'll like and then we can go into a real studio and actually record it. And Carl's here to join us. Carl, do you have any thoughts on that question? So none of us knew that John Cooney had sent that demo tape to Mike Varney. And <laughs> That's right. I was working at a company called Intel- Intelligent Communication Systems. I'm sitting at my desk. I'm working. The receptionist rings my phone and said, there's a Mike Varney on the phone for you. And I laughed and I said to the guy at the desk beside of me, Hey, it's Mike Varney. Like there's a Mike Varney from guitar player magazine. And I picked up the phone and Mike Varney goes, hi, Carl, this is Mike Varney from guitar player magazine. (laughs) (laughs) That was uh, unexpected for sure. Hey, one thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, speaking of the, the record, how did the photo shoot come about? What's the story behind that? Uh, I think most of these were Carl's ideas. <laughs> Him and uh, the guy that shot the photos. God, I can't remember who shot the photos. Wasn't it Mike Dar? That sounds right. Mike Dar. I think that's who it was. And uh, I think between Carl and, and the, you know, the, the camera operator, we, I mean, we went into this, this church that was up the road, and uh, they let us set up in different areas, and uh, we started taking these pictures. The better part, though, is how we got those outfits. We we went <laughs> we went to some like theater company rental place, and uh, yeah, Scaramooch it was called. And um, we went uh, we went there, and and we said, hey, what do you have that looks like uh, you know pirates? And <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably not exactly what we said, but. That's what they handed us, and so uh, we ended up renting it, and then we went back to uh, <laughs> back to this church and sat up for like eight or nine hours. I remember it took forever, and we had like uh, chemical smoke and the whole thing, you know, um, whatever that that other stuff is, dry ice or whatever. And uh, we lost a mouse. There's a there's a, actually a mouse on in one of those pictures that was with Chris. And uh, somehow got lost in the church, little white mouse. And I, I remember that. 
And then somebody eventually found it, and we hurry up and got a picture of it. When a mouse escapes, you usually just don't run over and find the mouse and catch it. And we <laughs> we caught the mouse. But remember, the objects that we were holding or standing or had in our picture were all objects that were part of Sean Lux's art that he had done for the album covers. That's right. Right? So, you know... You had the Venus de Milo, and Mike was holding that apple. Well, there was an apple, and did he do the did did uh, did Sean Lux do the 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 Venus de Milo and the and the and the mouse and all that apple stuff before we shot the pictures, or did we, was it backwards? No, did it was we, before. Oh, and then we just went out and found those those props. We got those items. Like I had the sword, and the whole reason was because those were objects oh that were included on that whatever floating yeah. gallery of stuff that of artwork yeah it's a thing i totally forgot about that's right mike's got an apple right and or glow in the dark red ball <laughs> or something and does the apple signify anything no uh, you know it, it could signify something it could signify that <clears throat> we were there for eight hours and were probably pretty hungry at the time <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Lux put it on the album cover. Girl. All we did was say, well, there's an apple. We should get an apple. <laughs> there's a Venus de Milo. We should get a Venus de Milo. I don't you even know. know where we got that Venus de Milo. Um, Carl, why did you wear your robe? You look like Ingve Malmsteen in a red robe. It was something hanging on the shelf at Scaramouche. I love that it's called Scaramouche. And Brent, do you still have that dress? Did you forget? <laughs> <laughs> you're looking like you're like a modeling for Playboy or something, with, but with clothes on. You're like all sultry looking. It's hilarious. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, none of that was my idea. I'll just say it right now. Because I was into Metallica and like jeans and t-shirts. clearly outvoted I'm just going to say... Well, yeah, one of the three guys in this conversation, it was his <laughs> idea to do all that, not mine. What, what, what do you guys remember about the uh, the front cover with uh, Icarus landing into that gallery with the, you know, kind of gr green floors? And Carl, didn't you, uh, didn't you give that guy some ideas of what we were looking for, or did we just kind of pick from what he had? I mean, we with a, he took the name of the band and then just kind of made something out of it, right? Yeah, maybe I did. I, I don't remember. Yeah, I have a I have a memory of of Carl giving some kind of direction a little bit to what the picture should be, um, and then there was like some kind of a sketch that was you know we was sent and we saw I think, and then when we finally saw this, the final product, I was like, wow, that's uh, that's an album cover. This looks pretty cool, and then of course we ended up going out and finding props, taking pictures, and looking like pirates. Most people know the origin of your band name is where it comes from shadow gallery, or at least they think it comes from V for Vendetta. So how did you come up with that idea? Like, how did you come up with the name of your band? And then, you know, it doesn't seem like throughout all the albums or whatever that you really took that theme all the way through. So like, what were your plans for that? Like you had room five, right? But everything else was like, everything else didn't really go with that theme. Well, no, I didn't, but uh, Room 5 was kind of a nod to Alan Moore. I mean, it's, you know, he's the man. Yeah. And uh, I was way into his stuff, and when I was a teenager, I, I 
I read, you know, V for Vendetta in the late 80s and, and said, I'm going to have a band called that one day. And then it kind of turned out that way because uh, I've been pretty lucky. Everybody else was on board with that? Like, oh, well, we needed a name, right? So when, because um, there's like a sorcerer in every town. Sorry, Carl. <laughs> but, but, I had nothing to do with that <laughs> name. Yeah, I mean, you know, so we, we had to come up with some kind of a name that worked. I'm trying to remember some of the other names that we came up with, but none of them really stuck. And and then uh, I, I think that was one we pulled out of a hat and read, and never people kind of liked it. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's how it came about. I, 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 if I can think of it, I'll I'll, I'll uh, blurt out some of the other names we came up with. How did you receive and read reviews for the album since the internet really hadn't taken off yet? Yeah, no internet. Every now and then we would get like a little care package from Magna Carta that was just full of like newspaper clippings that were, you know, Xeroxed or whatever. And I still got a pile of them in my, uh, one of my uh, file folders here. And uh, th- that was, they, they weren't really, really often, but it was every now and then. And then at the end of the year, we would start seeing some of those, you know, um, ASCAP, you know, ro- royalty stuff. Uh, you know, you could see how many times your record was played or where it was played and things of that nature. But, you know, with the internet wasn't there necessarily, and uh, it was hard, you know, to get any kind of any kind of feedback on what we were doing other than, you know, what we were hearing from, from our label itself. I remember randomly getting a phone call. Maybe this was Carved in Stone when that came out. I guess my, my, my name was in the yellow pages, you know, and somebody from, like, France or someplace called me. In the middle of the night, <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe our record is kind of getting around a little bit, you but, know. <laughs> wasn't that for your birthday? I don't remember, but so, somebody somebody called me in the middle of whenever, a long, long time ago. And I remember, like after that, we used to get it was faxes because again, uh, email was just coming into play, and uh, but we used to get faxes from Magna Carta on all the articles. They'd put them all together, faxes and a bunch of them. But did you guys expect that record to to have the impact that it did? especially over in Japan? I don't think any of us had any expectations, but we knew it, we, we knew for a demo tape it was good. I think we all knew for a CD release it wasn't. Um, so anything positive that came out of a demo tape being released as a legitimate product was just gravy. You know, it was just wait a minute, I can't believe people like this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good, yeah, Carl's making good points here. It, it, it was a demo tape, and, you know, it was pr- produced that way on what we had, and uh, people liked it anyway. So that's got to that's gotta have something to do with, uh, you know, with the quality of the pieces that are on there. So, Brent, what was your favorite guitar solo on this debut album? Maybe the one, maybe the acoustic solo in uh, Questions at Hand. I think that's my favorite guitar solo. Yeah, I think that's my favorite part of it. Yeah, it's pretty. What's your favorite bass solo on the whole? (laughs) (laughs) 
Where did you do most of your recording? So when we recorded the first CD was the studio control room in the living room or was it in that little room aside of the vocal booth? Now, when we were first starting working on it, um, it was in the little room. But once we got serious about it, all that stuff moved to the living room. You needed a bigger room to, to mix in. Yeah. So when, when did that happen? When did that transition take place? Before we were signed. I know, so that, that, I know that for a fact because we also tried to record drums in that little tiny-ass room somehow. And uh, we had to move the, the A-track out to the front the front of your house right that's where it stayed after that we had like <laughs> nothing we had zero equipment we had uh yeah we didn't have anything we had, we had one guitar amp uh you know and that's in one mic and that's about it and with enough determination they were able to make that first shadow gallery record next episode we'll find out how they did it we would love to hear from you the fans so if you have any questions for shadow gallery please write to us at shadowgallerypodcast at gmail.com and maybe we'll include one of your questions on a future episode. And there you have it, that first episode of Shadow Gallery, Untold Stories. Next episode, we will continue chatting about the debut album, breaking it down song by song, what possibly could have happened during that fun year of DIY recording. Stay tuned to find out.